The internet changed everything for sales and marketing. Artificial intelligence is going to change everything again. Welcome to AI for Sales, a show that looks at how artificial intelligence is changing sales. Join noted author, speaker, and AI for Sales expert Chad Burmeister as he interviews cutting-edge founders, CEOs, CROs, CMOs, other business executives, and AI experts on the weekly AI for Sales podcast. Join the AI for Sales revolution. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the AI for Sales podcast. I'm here today with Rob Carpenter, and I promise you yesterday I was asked, Chad, what type of technology has changed in the last year that you think is a game changer in AI for sales? And I couldn't think of anything top of mind that was outstanding and amazing. And then I met Rob. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's so exciting, man. Valiant.ai, V-A-L-Y-A-N-T.ai. I'm going to, why don't we cut to the chase scene because we'll get to know you in a minute. Usually I start with getting to know you. Tell us a little bit about Valiant because it's such a neat technology that you're deploying. Yeah. So we've built a proprietary conversational AI platform, think serial Alexa or Google. We're actually bringing it forward from being just a kind of consumer toy or something for that office. And we're actually sticking this thing front and center inside enterprises and customer facing roles. And you really don't see any type of AI that's made big strides in that type of space yet. So imagine your average quick serve restaurant, customer pulls into a drive through Right now, you have an employee inside the restaurant that has to take that order. You also have to process payment. They got to fill up soft drinks. They got to put food in a bag. You got to check for accuracy. You might have to clean up for a spill. All of that pressure on one person leads to 150 to 300% turnover per year. And oh, by the way, there's 1.4 million unfilled positions in the restaurant industry today. So what we do is we come in, we automate that crucial task of taking customer The employee still focuses on payment processing and the other tasks they're doing, but by taking 50 to 60% of the work off their plate, it severely reduces the pressure on them and allows them to do everything else quicker and more efficient. So today, we're both a hardware software company. We have a patented piece of hardware called the NX1A that we install directly inside the restaurant. It hooks into the employee's headset system, which enables our AI to then talk to customers. Employees can follow along on the entire order. And over the last couple of years, when we've been building this technology, we've developed our own proprietary speech-to-text engine that is specifically designed to understand noisy drive-through environments, our own custom NLP, and our own custom logic engine, which taken together kind of completes the trifecta for a conversational AI platform that can automate orders in a $865 billion per year industry. Wow. My first job as a teenager was at McDonald's, and it was $3.85 an hour. On Arapahoe, well, not Arapahoe Road, Quebec and County Line right there. <laughs> and I remember in the first month, I messed up every order that came in with the special order, right? I'm on the headset. Hey, I'd like to have a hamburger with no ketchup and no mustard. Plain. Perfect. So you would send it back. This was before I was on the headset. I was taking the order. So I'm in the back and they would say, one plain hamburger on 12. Well, you're familiar in restaurant speak in fast food, that means one plain hamburger. And while you're at it, you might as well go ahead and make the other 11 normally. Yeah. Guess what? I would build 12 plain hamburgers. And so think of all the waste. One times 12, right? And it would come back and now it's been touched. They give it to you. You have to throw away. So luckily I'd only throw away probably half those orders. 
the other half they would just eat, but then now the brand is bad. So yeah. think of all the mistakes that get made by taking orders at a drive-through that this form of AI is going to solve. Exactly. And now imagine too, they spent three months training somebody to do that job correctly. And then that person leaves. And I mean, that's what we're talking right now, basically for the average tenure in some of these restaurants. When we first went live, one restaurant chain, they would tend to staff when you considered all shifts, 20 to 23 people. Within about six months, we were the sixth longest surfing employee. And so that's what the kind of headache and challenges that a lot of these restaurant owners are trying to deal with right now. And so we really come in and just sort of on a critical hole. We also help from an efficiency standpoint, help to make, you know, everybody's lives a little better. And then maybe to the point of this conversation, we're also consistent from it themselves. Yeah. For eight hours and you had 10 customers in a row reject you, are you still going to upsell that app to that 11th person? Like, probably not. But like, that AI is going to be chipper in every single order. It's going to consistently upsell exactly when it's supposed to upsell. And as it collects more data, it gets more sophisticated and more intelligent those upsells. And that sure, sure. scene has a big impact on the drive at the ball. I met the CEO of a chatbot company that's all online chat order processing. And at first, the objection of like uh, Massage Envy and those kinds of places were like, well, you know, our people are so good on the phone. And then you would try to call the branch and nobody would pick up. Right. And it's like, well, just so you know, they're not actually picking up and all the things that you just said. So they deploy from like six at night till eight at night, just to say, well, let's just try a little bit of load, the upsell, the cross sell, the friendliness, the customer sat scores, all of it went off the charts because people will generally mess that up. And I think this is brilliant of what you've done over the last five years. I mean, absolutely. I agree with you. So let's rewind the tape. I told you we'd cut to the chase scene. Let's go right back to the beginning. I like our audience to kind of understand how'd you get to where you are. And the best way I've found to do that, go back to when you're a kid. Like what was intriguing to you? What were you interested in? Kind of what, what were you passionate about? Oh man, I'm a space nerd. Through and through. So as much stuff as being kind of thrown at the billionaire space race here, I would long for my opportunity to buy a ticket to go hang out on the International Space Station or go spend a week on the moon. And so, you know, as I looked at when I was a kid, you know, in space camp, I was like, okay, well, I can become a PhD that's also a fighter pilot that also speaks six languages like maybe. Or, you know, I could start a business, build a company, generate wealth. And even at that, you know, time in the mid nineties, I was like, and then buy a ticket to space. And so I think pretty early on, I kind of knew the trajectory I wanted to take with my life. And then it was just sort of compounded by looking at all the people that were doing the kinds of things that I wish that I could be doing in my life. Like, I doesn't want to go and fly around in a private chat or go to a private island, you know, and you look at people that do that. Almost every one of them either inherited or built and sold companies. And so, I think as I started to kind of like ruminate on wanting to do that, I then was turned on to Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 16. And that was it. And the light bulb clicked. I realized how most people money were able to fund things like going to space. And it was sort of like everything kind of lined up for me. So I ended up getting an undergrad degree in entrepreneurship, started a student entrepreneurship group at my university campus. I started an advertising business when I was at college at real estate afterwards. And then I worked for an internet marketing company for about two years while I was getting my master's degree. And then ultimately started a custom software company that I ran for seven years, you know, grew it to millions of dollars in revenue, part a company in India, a company in London. And when I was in London, closing that acquisition, 
I came up with the idea for essentially kind of building digital employees. And so I sort of sat out and said, you know, where could this technology be useful? And after analyzing about 20 different industries, I settled on sort of restaurants or fast food as we know it, because it's a huge market. As I mentioned previously, it's $865 billion per year. They have a thin margin. So they're desperate for ways to improve their profitability. And there's a huge opportunity to come in and provide a consistent customer service experience. And then selfishly for me, fast food has a far more limited domain set. You might have 150 menu items with another couple hundred tangential words like napkin and ketchup. But if you look at somebody like one of the big box retailers, they can have 10 like product SKUs inside their rep, their, their, their retail store. And that's a huge number of things to be able to understand and converse about intelligent. So for us, when you looked at the Venn diagram, fixer restaurants were just a nice marriage of, of market size and potential, as well as maybe a, a easier path to the market, some of the other opportunities. Thank you for tuning in to the AI for Sales podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Scalex.ai, Pipeline as a Service, and BDR.ai, always on prospecting for LinkedIn. Visit www.scalex.ai if you want to transform your top of funnel prospecting machine, or visit www.bdr.ai if you want to hire a virtual BDR to do LinkedIn prospecting for you for just $500 a month. There's two companies in Denver. If you don't know them, I'm happy to make an introduction. Talent Reef is already working with all the big dogs, Checker, Auto Parts, uh, as a, but not at Wendy's and Taco Bell and just all of it. And so they've got a relationship. They sell a platform that helps hire employees and track that all at a really low cost. And then there's another yeah. sec, Ops Analytica, Tommy is the CEO. And then a former person who used to work with me at Talent Reef is also over at Ops Analytica now. So I oh, think look at those interests. Yeah. We're also, I'll just throw a quick plug in. We're trying to hire four engineers right now. So if they can hire some engineers for me as well as some pride cuts, I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, my son's going to Colorado School of Mines, but he still has three years left. So maybe in three years. Tell him to hurry. <laughs> That's right. So we talked a little bit about AI and all of the different aspects of it. Tell me about if AI wasn't a thing right now, does your product even exist? No. So the quintessential play for me is machine learning is speech to text. Now I'd say we probably have about another smaller, about a dozen different machine learning modules throughout our platform, but the core of it is speech to text. So you can imagine a customer pulling into the drive-through and auditorily they're saying that I want a cheeseburger. That wave file then flows into our system and use machine learning to that wave file to say, okay, more than likely this customer is saying, I want a cheeseburger. But if we don't have any way to convert that wave file into text, that's sort of like kind of the head of the chain, if you will. And so if you cut that off, nothing else after it. So I think the reason you've never seen this type of technology in the before is because AI just wasn't it. They instead out the amount of data available was as big as it needed to be. And then once it's server processing. It wasn't great enough. So all of those forces are coming together and continue to get better year after year after year. And so we'll see this technology continue to accelerate in terms of how many edge cases it can handle. Because as we all know, that's all AI is, is edge cases. And so as we take on more and more and more of those edge cases, that accuracy rate just goes higher and higher and higher and higher until you really get to the point that 
you don't need any kind of human in the loop in any situation because the AI can handle the vast majority. Sure. I remember meeting a woman named Sabrina Atienza at the time, five years ago, was with Curious with a Q.io. I think they've since been sold or they're no longer around because I saw she's a product manager at Amazon now. But <laughs> her entire $1.1 million in seed round funding was to try to collapse the speech to text time it takes because the old stuff five years ago, you could do it into a 98% accuracy, but it might take 10, 15, 30 seconds. So if I'm uh-huh. talking to you in a live conversation, you're at the drive-through, you're not going to wait 30 seconds. You're going to peel out of there and be pissed off. So I right. have to believe that that shrinkage of time, you know, it was interesting talking to her over a dinner at sales 3.0 one time. And that's where they were five years ago, the best of the best. But now that's been hacked down to seconds or milliseconds, I would expect. Yeah, I don't know what our exact timing is on speech to text in particular. I think it's probably like 750 millisecond range is where we're at. And, you know, if you overpay it, that's an extreme challenge. And especially if we take that and apply it to our use case, it's not just that one interaction where you say something and waiting for a response, but our average interaction customers can have 10 to 20 turns back and forth. So now you're talking about 10 to 30 seconds times 10 to 20 times. Yeah, right. Forget about it. You're in a 10 minute order time and that's just not viable. We have, I'd say, probably 10 critical pieces of our infrastructure that all have to work perfectly in a row in order to complete an entire turn in a conversation with a customer. And so every single one of those components, like, I mean, 750 milliseconds will allow because it's so critical, but then everything else has to be like 10 milliseconds, you know, or 50 milliseconds. Otherwise, all of that time compounds, and now you've got way too long of a delay. So right now, we average somewhere between a second and a half and two and a half seconds in terms of response to a customer. I'd still like to get that faster and we are continuing to compress that, but there is a very real push and pull challenge between the accuracy and speed of response time. Sit there for 10 seconds, you're likely to have an accurate response, but you have to respond fast enough so the customer's not be frustrated, drive it away, talking over the AI. The problems can cascade exponentially if you get off the path that the customer expects the conversation. Sure. Well, I'm sure my wife would be an edge case because she would do the no pickles. And then at the very end of the meal, she'd throw the stumper. Oh, cancel <laughs> the hamburger, add a cheeseburger. And by the way, can you make it without any bun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, honestly, like modifications are that challenge we see as a relation. This goes back to speech to text again is for the customers speaking clearly. Are they being direct about what they want? So if the customer is going to be mumbling or speaking really softly, changing their mind mid comment, that's really where we see degradation of accuracy in that turn-taking of process and or any extraneous things going on right now. Birds can be really loud in those drive-through environments. You have hard exhaust, backfire, radial, people talking, rain, wind, all of those types of things can impact that. You know, we benchmark our speech to text software and right now, from an accuracy standpoint, we're right around 90% for speech to text. And we benchmark against Google and Amazon and as you drive through on your guys are about 70, 72% accurate in relation. So you have to train on huge quantities of noisy data to get really, really good at it. And if there just happens to be a leaf blower going behind the customer at the exact moment they say something quietly, it's probably not going to be a great experience. Sure. So 
I've worked for WebEx. We had single user orders. I worked for Ring Central. We had a whole team of hundreds of people in the Philippines. I have to believe that as this technology gets proven out on QuickSurge, you mentioned at the start of the call, it's really built for enterprise. Do you see this moving into large call centers and, and that looks a little input? Yeah. And we're not trying to hide everything. I mean, from our experience, everybody that we've seen in the industry has human in one fashion or another. It's just whether they are upfront about it or And so we do have to make up some percentage of orders with the human chopping in. And so that's where people kind of, you know, either locally or overseas will be involved in helping that process to ensure the customer ultimately has a good experience with it. And so through that process, we've talked to a lot of different call center companies, ones that already have a presence in food space, others that don't. And everybody unequivocally across the board in the call center space is trying to figure out how to get this AI technology to work. They're either building it in panels or they're acquiring companies that are doing it and building that technology. And so we are really kind of pushing it the vanguard to get to the point where we don't need to have the call center backing up the orders anymore. And they are consistently high enough that when we do run into an issue, the on-site lead jumps in and takes over. And if they only have to be involved in five to ten orders, then you can still effectively automate that task and they just jump in the few use cases that they need. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think we mentioned before we started the call today, I was tracking the emails and it's AI powered with one of our partners out of Israel. And so it got to a point where I'd have two tasks to do a week on eight virtual assistants. And my team's like, Chad, you don't need to go in. You're, you're good now, right? Just yeah, I'm on that. So have fun and let it fly. It's always yeah. magic and terrifying move. It is, it is. But even, <laughs> even Breckenridge Brewery, funny enough, on Santa Fe, we toured and my, my nephew's at School of Mines also. And he goes, hey, what's that little computer down there sitting on the floor? They go, oh, that's our AI that now runs the mixers of the hops. And he, he was smart enough. He goes, so uh, let me ask another question, right? How did it do? And they go, well, in the first couple of loads or mixes, terrible. Now it outperforms a human 10 times out of 10. And I'm like, wait, that's just plugged in with the little power cord and an ethernet cable sitting over there on the floor running transactions that a mainframe couldn't have done a few decades ago. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, just goes to show how important the application of hardware is. And I mean, every single year, this technology gets better. It goes back to Moore's law, right? So you just, you need better processes, whether it's on edge, like that is, or up in the cloud, like a lot of would say providers out there where they're processing right now. And you just need enough, generally speaking, use to crunch through the numbers so that the AI gets job. And so as that computing power continues to go up, costs continue to go down, we'll see these things get smarter and smarter and smarter. And from an AI perspective, we have to find a way collectively to move away from all of this hand labeling to a point where these AI systems are self-learning. And I think in my opinion, the biggest factor I would say is just we need higher server compute power right now. And as that increases exponentially, it's probably not going to be more data or more stuff that's going to make a bigger difference. Just going to be able to crunch more data faster. Sure. So last question, you're living in this every day. So I think you probably have formed an opinion of what happens five years from now. And you talked about the self-learning stuff just now. A lot of people I talk to are like, oh no, that's 20, 30 years out. Self-learning. <laughs> I'm like, nah, yeah, it's right there. It's already happening in some places. Self-learning is going to be essential. I don't think we know necessarily if Moore's Law is going to break down in terms of processing capabilities and the media 
processors are getting more and more desperate of, you know, how do I fit more circuits onto the silicon? You see it a huge amount of market consolidation as these big companies try to achieve um, some unit economics here to be able to keep making these things better and better and better. And I think a lot of people think Moore's Law may start to kind of peter out and potentially start to break down moving forward unless there's some big jump to quantum. So in terms of unsupervised learning, I would not state that that will be here in five years. It's getting better. It will be something like five to 15 years, I think, before you see high quality, you know, good unsupervised learning of AI systems. But that doesn't mean it holds everything back until that happens. So specific to my industry of restaurants, I would argue in five years, pending legal issues, don't blow it up. You will pull into a quick serve restaurant. It'll reach your license plate on the ski in your face. Obviously, biometric issues there and you have to opt into that. But it will then read you by name. It's going to pull up your favorite items. It's going to know what things you normally buy. If you miss something in your order, it's going to ask you if you want that specific item from it. That sells the employee. It's ideally going to have your credit card on file. So it's just going to ask you if you can charge it. And then if you say yes, you will then drive up, grab your food and drive away. And I would expect to see that at some level of option in the market. Wow. That makes perfect sense. Well, I tell you what, I'll see you on the spacecraft someday because I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Will you go the Elon route, Virgin Atlantic, or have you chosen your vehicle of carry yet? Hey, I'm I'm big fans of anybody that kind of pushes the industry forward. It's more engineers that are learning. It makes everybody better. But I'd absolutely be on the Elon Musk's starship. I had my choice as that thing starts to, uh, I think, override the moon base by the end of that. Outstanding. Man, Rob, it's been great to have you on the show. Rob Carpenter. CEO of Valiant.ai, V-A-L-Y-A-N-T.ai. All the cool kids are putting AI in their names. So if you haven't done it yet, <laughs> get on board and partner with a company like ours. Really awesome talk. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Rob. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the AI for Sales podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Scalex.ai, Pipeline as a Service, and bdr.ai, always on prospecting for LinkedIn. Visit www.scalex.ai if you want to transform your top of funnel prospecting machine or visit www.bdr.ai if you want to hire a virtual BDR to do LinkedIn prospecting for you for just $500 a month. Thank you for listening to another episode of the AI for Sales podcast with Chad Burmeister. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate the ever-changing landscape of sales to help you 5x, 10x, or even 100x your sales motion sales velocity through artificial intelligence. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit www.scalex.ai. Until next time.